Welcome to Rooster Radio. Welcome to Rooster Radio. I'm James Begley and I've got Andrew Montessi here. Rooster Radio, a place where we look at the journeys of young, successful people having a crack in life. And uh, today is no different. We look at interesting stories and uh, I guess, Andrew, for me, Rooster Radio has evolved. And I think I know that we've made it in life when people start to recognise us based on being involved in a podcast. Yeah, look, we always knew that we were going to make it. Um, from episode one, when we were big noting ourselves, um, we just knew that we were destined for success. And uh, I was at a wedding on Saturday night uh, with my wife sitting opposite a girl and she's, she's saying, I know you from somewhere, I know you from somewhere. And I'm going, oh, okay, here we go. Maybe from, you know, no one cared about Channel 9 when I was there, which maybe it was from my Channel 9 days. No, 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 who knows, uh, what was it? Oh, oh, do you do a podcast? I said, yeah, I do do a podcast. Oh, Rooster Radio? Yeah, that's it. So Famous. I've, I've been recognised for Rooster Radio at a wedding and um, it's, it was a pretty amazing... It's never happened to me, James. I mean, as an ex-AFL footballer, you were probably used to that sort of thing. And you, probably, <laughs> you probably still expect it. But for me, as a punter... Jeez, it was... Did you I like puff, it? I puffed the chest out. Do you yeah, like that's it? For sure. You got a taste for it. I got a taste for it. And now I'm going to flog this Rooster Radio to anyone and really pump it up. But I think, look, enough about us. Um, I'm going to jump to our guest who... It's a pretty bloody amazing story, actually. Um, James Williams, a.k.a. The Kid. So this is how Rooster Radio works. I got a, a text from a mate late last night with a tip for Rooster Radio. Next day, next afternoon, he's in our office at the Rooster Coop and we're talking to him. So The Kid is a real estate guru who then turned to rapping, of all things. Uh, not many people in Adelaide in particular can say that they've made that kind of transition. He's now involved in coaching, uh, training, not just real estate agents, but really anyone, life coaching. He's been through a lot, has a lot of great stories to tell. So, James, do we call you the kid or do we call you James? What do you prefer, mate? Mate, ticking over to the 3-0 recently, uh, I've, I've sort of abbreviated it to TK. TK, uh, yeah. I think, I think calling myself the kid at this age, although my face probably reflects that of an 18-year-old and I still get ID'd. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd probably be going, going with TK. But boys, you can call me whatever you want. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks, TK. We made the point that, yeah, you've got the baby face and James has the... Uh, sitting here with the grey hair. Mate, I've got the, the grey hair. I reckon you're being harsh on this man right here. I <laughs> think right now, I, and I say this, you know, with the utmost respect, is that both of you boys, you know, you need a camera in front of you. You're not, you're not, you're not just voices for radio, but well, anyway. Well, James, James will probably get onto the topic that he was Bachelor of the Year 2005. Here we go. He's, happy, he's happy to talk about that. Normally we, 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 uh, we keep our modesty for... Um, Did not sound like that in the first 30 seconds of the show. <laughs> no, no, no. We reserve our modesty. but ha Friday afternoon it tends to happen. TK, let's jump into for sure. the point at which you knew that you wanted to go and do something different. Can you, can you give us some background about the moment where you decided to change the course of your career? Yeah, I was going to say, be something different at probably the moment that I was pulled out of my mother. But um, yeah, look, I, I, I guess I always wanted to do something different from when I was at school. I got sent from, from Highgate to St. Peter's and I was surrounded by an all single-sex school pulling your socks up and call teachers sir and it didn't sit too well. So I ended up leaving there, going to a co-ed school uh, at Scotch. Things were a lot better there. But then from there, I, I sort of wanted to take a year off, but also didn't want to just slack around and do nothing. So I went to university and did a Bachelor of Arts in nothing. 
not really, but I say that in jest and in seriousness. I did it in screen mm. studies and drama and I mean, a Bachelor of Arts probably isn't the, the most productive uh, course you can do. No disrespect to anyone doing it. It's an enjoyable time. Um, but I, I sort of, I looked around and although I was doing something different then, I, I sort of looked around at the, the people that I was with and I figured, look, this isn't probably going to get me to where I specifically want to go. Not that that's the right or the wrong course. So I then, I think my, am I answering this question correctly? Keep going. Giddy up. Keep cool, going. cool. Hold me up. I, I, can, I, can, I can start yapping. So uh, anyway, I uh, then went in, uh, did, uh, after university, I went and got a job. I slacked around for a couple of months and then I was lucky enough to get a job working for Salesforce selling Foxtel, where we went out doing door-to-door. Uh, they told everybody that you had to do door-to-door for uh, a year before you could get into mobile kiosk minimum. I'm actually happy. I've never said this story publicly ever. It's always been hush hush. Rooster Radio exclusive. It is. This is a Rooster Radio exclusive. And shout outs to Paul Baker if he ever listens to this one because he uh, he probably kicked my ass for it. But I I came up with the idea that I would pretend to be rolled. And <laughs> and just for those listeners, <laughs> rolled being robbed, yeah, mugged. Yeah, rolled. Yeah, <laughs> rolled. Well, we were door knocking a hundred meters away from Yatla Prison. So the idea. Sorry about that. That's my phone. That's Mum, by the way. That's Mum calling. That's Mum calling. <laughs> she just checking a big out. Just checking in on a Friday afternoon to make sure that you're not up to silly buggers. <laughs> exactly. That's probably a, a worthwhile checkup. That one's on silent now. Apologies, boys. Anyway, back to this story. So I, this literally has never gone public before, but I don't really care anymore. That's the beautiful part of sort of doing what I'm doing is, um, is I'm, I guess I'm a bit proud of it. You had to go on for a year and this is exactly in line with doing something different. I, I, I came up with the idea that I was going to get rolled, robbed. And we we're hundred meters away from Yatla prison. So what I did is I put my credit card in my shoe and I put my phone in the bushes somewhere because I didn't want to lose those two things, even though I had to come up with a story. <laughs> And I called up my boss and I had an elaborate story of two guys that just approached me and rolled me. Now, careful doing this sort of thing because over the next three years, I was actually rolled twice. So I think I may have put some get bad karma <laughs> out into the... a bitch. It is, it is. So I think I maybe got my comeuppance in regards to that, but it worked. I feel bad and shout outs to the boys who drove around in the van for me looking for these imaginary people for the next half an hour. And I went back, <laughs> I went back to the office and I thought I was away with it. So I got a phone call that night from my two bosses and they said that the uh, national representative for Foxtel and the state rep for Salesforce wanted to have a chat to me and talk to the story. So I then sat, had to, to go back in the next morning as an 18 year old kid and tell them word for word this story, which was potentially made up or was, was 100% made up. So uh, just, just digging that hole. Digging that further. hole further. But I found out that I can swim in the deep end at that point and I looked all these guys in the eyes and I, and, I, and I managed to get through it. And at the end of it, they said, look, James, what do you want, what do you want to do here? And, I don't want to sound like a pussy. I don't want to sound like a, you know, excuse the French, but I didn't want to sound weak. So I said, look, I'm happy to head back out there. It's all good. But dad and mum, they are not happy with this situation whatsoever. They're getting pissed off. And they said, oh, look, James, exactly what I've been planning. I said, James, how do you feel going into mobile kiosk? And it was two days after of door knocking. So, so that elaborate scheme. you Got me to Norwich got... Shopping Centre selling Foxtel. And I did extremely well in that. But then, so you ended up in real estate. And that's yes. probably where yes. that first shift in your life, I'd imagine. Definitely. So I, I fast forwarding from there, I, I kicked some serious goals at Foxtel, realised I had good skills in selling. And then I realised that Foxtel was going to run out and uh, what would people always need and what was the most valuable thing to sell was probably a house. So I uh, managed to get a job uh, by about, I called up about over six months, uh, two different resumes, six different interviews and got a job as the reception. They said, you can have a job, but you've got to wear a skirt. 
And um, in all seriousness, I always said to me, and I took a job on reception at Tupin 2, where I answered calls for about six months to a year. From then, I, uh, I climbed pretty quickly, went across to photographers as assistant, until one day they called me and I'd done some filmmaking, as you guys now know, not too much of it at uni, but they said, you've got some history being a photographer. I didn't, they'd read that wrong, but that <laughs> night I put together a fake portfolio of photos that I hadn't <laughs> taken and I got the job as photographer. That one was figured out pretty quickly because the photographer took me out for a training day and asked me about a few settings on the camera and it was pretty evident I didn't know. I'm an abs I sound like an absolute bullshit artist, which I guess, I've always used my powers for good rather than evil. That's the only thing that I'd say. Um, so yeah, I then uh, was, uh, was there and I was lucky enough to bump into someone who'd become one of my best friends and mentors. After being a photographer, advertising assistant reception, I bumped into a guy called Phil Harris. And uh, Phil uh, didn't know that I wanted to get into sales, ended up offering me a position with him. But it was a unique opening to the industry in an industry which I now know is one of the most undertrained industries uh, that I've ever come across. It's very easy to get your license. It's very easy to get the job. It's hard to stay in there. It's a very high turnover. He sent me across to Sydney uh, to the Complete Salesperson's course. Shout out to Lee Woodward um, and did some negotiation courses. Gave me a page of about 30 dialogues. And he said, look, if you can learn all of these and you attend this course and you can come back and you nail them all, I'll give you a job. If not, you can go back to reception. And um, even though I was at Good Vibrations uh, Festival and had a pretty big weekend that weekend, <laughs> laying on Bondi Beach learning the scripts and dialogues, I managed to retain the information and came back and got the job with Phil. For all those people who don't understand, I guess, what, what Harris Real Estate has sort of done or did do in terms of become a bit progressive, good branding, good marketing, good sort of online stuff, can you, uh, can you just give a really brief overview yes. of kind of what happened in that early, those early stages with Harris? Well, we, Phil, Phil had, had innovated a lot of things at Toop and Toop and he decided to go across. He realised he was probably bigger than that and wanted to open up his own shop. The old idea of Harris Real Estate was to tell people what they need to know as opposed to what they want to hear. Phil is one of the good guys. He's extremely highly trained. He is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um, apart, from, apart from my um, spinning bullshit on the occasion, I sort of consider myself in that boat too. And we wanted to have a, a group of highly trained agents who actually did the job right. I was sick of uh, walking into someone's house and being uh, you know, seen as an arsehole so I could prove I was a nice guy. And that's what Phil was as well. And um, the idea was, the marketing was amazing, choosing pink. Um, we realized that day that it was huge when somebody called me up. We only had four signboards in Adelaide and someone called me up and said they'd seen a signboard on South Road. And we knew where our signboards were. And I said, no, nah, there's not one on South Road. And we tracked it back and it was on a street about 30 meters back off South Road. And those, we thought, wow. Those pink signs, changed real estate in SA. They did. Every other firm followed, you know, there's now the blue ones, there's all the different colors because that was a huge shift in marketing. It was, it was. They had some really good guys at Woods Cannon behind um, and helping and assisting with that. And yeah, I think that was, that was the idea is to have, you know, the, an office in Adelaide where people were highly trained. They took accountability. They, they took their vendors outcomes personally. It wasn't just about getting dough, it was about actually doing the right thing. And as a lot of great people, Johnny McGrath will say, when you focus on helping people as opposed to making money, you'll end up a millionaire anyway, so. So what was your, what was your life like at that time? Harris is becoming very successful. You're a partner in it. Yeah. I imagine you're making some dough. Yes. Um, I mean, perhaps describe the successful life that you were living at that point, because it, it'll lead into to our next Definitely. Discussion. It was it was full on. I was uh, I was working my guts out. I was working seven days a week. Uh, I had some good cash coming in, cash I didn't know what to do with. 
but what I found out for me, and I don't want to you know, steal the mic on, on that because that's where we're going to go, I think, but it, it, the lifestyle wasn't quite for me. And a lot of people are happy doing that. You've got to be a little bit crazy to sell real estate because you, it's, a, it's a, not just a career, it's a lifestyle. And for me, I like to uh, have a lot of work-life balance. But you see, here's the thing, man. Just, for me, the, the, the surface of you, that seems to fit perfectly. Definitely. Oh, you're a good-looking rooster. You're outgoing. You're extroverted. You're presentable. You, I reckon you'd be up for a good time. That's my stereotype of a salesman. Why did it not connect with you? Well, it's not that it didn't... Well, that's a great one because... I now coach some of the best agents, uh, so I was, without having my hand you know where, I was extremely good at it, and I'm a big thing, like Conor McGregor would say, that there's no such thing as skills as obsessed and trained, I was just highly trained, so I became very, very good at it, I had some natural ability as well, of course, but I didn't enjoy it, so I had more money coming in than I knew what to do with, and, and I wasn't and what, happy. What, just give me some spectrums here, some bench, like some broad ranges, like what? Yeah. Did you make money on commission or was it on... Commission selling houses, money yeah. coming in from the company. I was a partner there. Um, what's, had, a, what's a good year, a ballpark or a month or just... just oh, mate, you know, in excess of 100, 100 grand at, at that age was, was a lot of money coming in. I didn't know what to do with it. And um, the other thing is as well as I was... I was how, like, how old were you at the time? 23, 22. Mm. Uh, and I was didn't have many lifestyle costs at all. Um, also, when you're working seven days a week, you're not spending too much money. So... Um, yeah, when the crazy I was 23, thing. I think I was on 25 grand as a trainee at the Crows. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, but hey, if, you know, on the flip side of the coin, I, all I wanted to do was play footy. I had the body of a girl, though. I know girls can play probably better footy than me, <laughs> but I uh, it wasn't wasn't built for it. So, so you, grass is always greener. So you've got this lifestyle. You're flogging your guts out, but you're making sheets. Yeah. Did you have? The, the I guess this passion for music and creativity was that still bubbling away on the side? Was it repressed? Were you still able to unleash that creativity? Second word, repressed. It was repressed, and that's why I wasn't probably happy. Is that although I was very good at it at the state at the time, I grew up too quickly. All my mates were going overseas, enjoying holidays. I gave up so many holidays. Like to get to that point, I was at. I missed out on a lot of cool stuff. I remember one time, every single one of my mates going over to Falls Festival, including my girlfriend at the time, went over with them and like coming back to a night after a day of open inspections and they're all partying, having fun. And yeah, I missed out on so many things. Um, what, was, what was the motivator for you? Uh, at the time, what? it was that I, was, I had this guy, had this, I, I was chasing money. Money. All I was yeah. doing was chasing money. I had this idea, what I used to quote to people was like, you know, everybody else can do this. I'm gonna work so, so hard that I'm gonna be able to retire early. But what the crazy thing is in that, what I've realized now, and <clears throat> hindsight's a beautiful thing, is that these are the best years of your life. So you need to be enjoying, what's the point of retiring at, at 50 and then going out to live it if you can't do some of the things you'd be able to do, you know? Yeah. So you've got this repressed creativity. Did was there a trigger point when you thought, right, I can't do this real estate stuff anymore. I've got this skill, um, uh, talented with music, yeah. I mean, rapping. I mean, it just seems so crazy to say in a line, to, to, to move, to shift from this real estate lifestyle to pursue a career in hip hop. Yeah, yeah. Well, how, I mean, how the hell did that I'm, happen? I'm a pretty overly confident, I'm not gonna use the word arrogant, but I've always backed myself in 100%. So when I was gonna do it, it wasn't that I was gonna be an average rapper, it was that I was gonna be the next Eminem in my yeah. own head. Uh, 
what's funny in the hindsight now is that it's not the lifestyle that I want whatsoever. Um, the thing was as well is I think that I was never made to be, um, I'm going to sound like an arrogant dick here. No, 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 mate. I wasn't, here to go for it, sound like an arrogant dick. Um, <laughs> makes I, for good headlines. Makes for great headlines, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I didn't enjoy being, although Phil was my best friend and one of the best agents in Australia and an amazing mentor and I'll never, never second question what he's done for me. I didn't like being in, a, in the shadows. I didn't like, I wanted to run sure. my own shop and be my own man. And I think that's what it was. It maybe wasn't that it wasn't rap that I was chasing, maybe it was just I needed to exert my own creativity, which I'm able to do now. But I did uh, walk up to him one day, decided, there was also, also huge goalposts, like to retain your partnership there, you had to sell a minimum of six, around 600 grand, you know, and, and I'm sure he's happy for me to sell it, because it was a high performance, mm. um, high performance office. And to do that, I just had to give up my entire life, and all close to it, and that just wasn't me. A lot of people are happy to do that, and they will reap the rewards of that, and that's fantastic. For me, I love skateboarding, I love going to the beach, I love hanging out with my friends, and I'd completely lost all of that. So I walked in there one day, and to his shock and horror, and to mine as well, because that guy had invested so much time and energy into me. Things have come around full circle now, which is, a, which is there's a happy ending to the story, but I said to him, look, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm done, you know, I want out. And um, I think he saw it coming, he always did as a mentor, he knew that my heart wasn't in it. And I sold my partnership, had to everybody's horror, mainly my father's and people close to yeah. me. Yeah, I've been working so hard for this, um, but I had a midlife crisis at the age of 25, you know, yeah, right. maybe because I'd fast forwarded my life a little bit. And I realized that money wasn't gonna be every, I had more money than I, came in, than I knew what to do with and I wasn't happy and I needed to get happier. Being happy has always been important to me. I think it is to everybody, but ever since I was a kid, smiling and having fun's been important. So I sold the partnership and I funded myself stupidly because when you don't work you're productive you want something to get done give it to a busy person mm. I funded myself to sit on my ass and write music and I think that if I'd kept working somewhere else I probably would have written more music mm. so I got a little lazy I still managed to churn out two EPs and win about 13 battles in my first year but I think that that was still for my productivity I could have done a lot more I've always and you can write this down Monty this is actually my quote but the less you do in a day the harder it is to do anything Ooh. when I've got when I've got 30 minutes that's, to get that's, four that's too deep for a Friday I oh, know take it up a notch <laughs> take it up a notch um, co coming back to um, the kind of the etiquette and the and the mechanics of battling and, and rapping yes you're going to have to you're going to have to give us an education yeah well you don't need one to get into the battlings <laughs> what do you, what do, you do? do how does it work well, have you seen Eight Mile? Yeah, is, it, is that just the glorification of it, or is it's that de definitely? Uh, unfortunately, it's changed. Like my favourite form of battling was freestyle battling, where yeah. you'd rock up, you you'd, you wouldn't know who you were battling until you arrived, and you would just freestyle, and I'd be battling about what you're wearing, all of that sort of stuff, which is awesome, by the way, in case you can't <laughs> see him. But um, I'd find something to work on, right? And um, Unfortunately, that doesn't sell tickets because even the best freestylers in the world, you can't guarantee they're going to put on a good performance because it's freestyling. Mm -hmm. There are some days where I freestyle amazingly well, there's some days where, I, where you don't. That's, that's what freestyling is, but that's why it can be so fun. But to sell tickets to what they, they sort of, in my opinion, it is just my opinion, but it turned into a pre-written format. Mm which for me took out a lot of the natural ability and skill of rapping. I think you, you could still highlight and, and you would you'd be better at it if, if you had that natural ability. But what it became is that you actually find out your opponent, uh, usually a month before, maybe less time, but usually a month before. You know who you're battling, you know the event. Yeah. You, you, you get them on Facebook, you do as much research as you can, and your objective is to humiliate this person in front of a crowd of people. 
it's a pretty intense thing and I'll tell you what after you do it for a year for me who is a kid who likes to smile and play in the sun it's a pretty uh, dark thing to get into as well yeah, yeah I can imagine it's pretty brutal and you know we James and I on Rooster Radio always talk about you know building yourself up and um, yeah. you know all that sort of stuff and the importance of self-esteem believing in yourself yeah um, to have someone to go into an environment where your profession is effectively to be torn down or tear others down Interesting. And especially when you've gone from a busy lifestyle where you're keeping busy. Yes. To then... 100%. Too much time to think. It was. It was. And uh, for me, I, when I stepped into the battling scene, I dressed a lot differently than other guys. I didn't dress exactly like this, otherwise <laughs> I would have been beaten up on my first day. But I, uh, I did dress a bit more, I don't know what you say, just a bit more clean cut. You know, it wasn't the, the dirty baggy clothes. Yeah. It, was a bit, it, was, it was still hip-hop, but it was a bit fresher. I also came in with a bit... Um, careful saying that but I came in maybe speaking a little bit different than other people as well and I won my first 10 battles and they were like who the hell is this kid the kid taken over and, and, and not enjoying it and I got more hate than I'd ever known in my life like I'd, I, I was getting posts from people death threats I had a knife held to my throat after a, before a battle which I had to then go battle uh, 15 minutes later which was pretty intense um, me and my girlfriend at the time got we were followed back to our cars, started on. It was, it was- How did you deal with that? How I, did you stay up? How did you stick at it? I, going into footy, my footy coach said when I was in year five after, a, year seven after a game, a guy called Lockie Waterman, he said, uh, you're tenacious. And after that, I looked it up in the dictionary and that word stuck with me ever since. I'm never gonna let these guys get in the way of what my dream, my dream wasn't to be the best battle rapper. My dream was to get exposure through battle rapping to push my music. It was a bit of a business move there, although I loved it. I love the freestyle battling more because it's not as intense. Like you don't mm. dig up dirty stuff. It was more just surface stuff. Um, but yeah, they were, I wasn't gonna let these guys stop me. So, I mean, my tenacity could also be looked as stupidity, but every time they did that, it was like, it was full on. Like I was invited to Canada to go battle. And I remember getting a message going, you're not gonna be able to go there with stab wounds. And you know, it was then getting followed back to your car afterwards. And, and big rappers from in Australia messaging me saying, that's what you get, your dog. Uh, a four letter word there that you don't want to repeat, but. And did you ever think, just months ago, you had a, a great gig, earning coin, selling? Yeah, that, what yeah. am I doing? I'm, people are threatening to stab me. Uh, you drive past those Harris signboards and you get a feeling, and you see more and more popping up, and the opposite of you're like, "Wow, I've I've really backed myself in here, haven't I?" <laughs> but I've got to continue to do it, and so I continued to do it. Um, I was lucky enough to get some big international battles uh, through, I think these guys, they get a choice through their battle when they come down. Guys like Conceited, who's the most viewed battle rapper in the world, um, he's on MTV, things like that. Roan, who's the champion now. Um, all these guys, and they get a choice of who to battle, so they look up these people. And the thing was, that was unique about me, I don't need to touch wood anymore because I've, I've retired from battling, I used to do it, but I never choked. And it was because I understood through Phil and my training what prior preparation does. And these mm. guys would get drunk and not really rehearse. I'd be in my room, like, practicing, practicing. So I never choked. Choking is forgetting your lines in front of people. Yeah. And the thing is, is you'd think when you battle somebody, you, the first battle you ever do, you want to kill the guy. After that, you don't want the other person to choke because once you get to a certain point, if that other person chokes, there's no replay value and the battle doesn't get views. So you want the other person to do it. You want a really yeah. tight, close battle. Again, it goes up and up and up. So... These guys would choose me to battle them, which just got more and more hate. But I eventually realized you, could dis you can disassociate from hate. There's a huge tip in this. And that's because I remember reading about some Olympians and sports people that had to deal with it. Mm. 
But there's a thing is that if you don't want, there's a way that you can disassociate the hate. That's what you've got to stop looking for the love. So I used to get addicted, mate. My views would be like, oh, how many views have I got? A new video clips up, oh, it's on this many views. Oh, it's got 15,000, you know, I get pumped and pumped and I've got this many likes. But the thing is, is if you take pleasure out of that, you're gonna take sadness or whatever the word is to describe it out of the hate. You're gonna get affected by the hate. So I just disengaged from the entire thing and just started outputting my creativity and switched off to the entire scene. Well, reading some stuff by Seth Godin, who's obviously quoted and interviewed a lot in the business and marketing world, one of the world's sort of leading yeah. authorities on it. So if you're not if you're not putting yourself out there to be criticized, you're not doing anything. And the vast majority of people are hiding. Everyone is hiding. 100%. I completely agree with that. I'd, I'd guarantee that there are people who know that we are doing a podcast thinking... You guys are knobs. Well, laughing about it. Yeah, oh, mate, what are these, had, guys, what are these no, guys doing? But it's true. Like, I had, I've had heaps of people giving me shit about it. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Yeah. Like, why? And then all of a sudden they start asking me, well, how? It's actually, I listened yeah. to it. You know, it actually wasn't too bad. You yeah. Know? But I guess the core purpose is we've, we're a bit flippant and we, we make remarks about how many people have downloaded the podcast, but we've said on a number of occasions, we wouldn't care one iota if actually didn't That's get not why any you're doing it in the first place. It gives us a great avenue to talk to interesting people out having a crack at the podcast. We wouldn't be having this, this conversation, conversation, which we are enjoying. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, another thing that strikes me is people that seem, you know, up inevitably have downs. Yes. What can you describe what you think would be the one lowest period maybe in this battling sequence where you you trawled the depths of your personal life. Yeah, like in the in the battling specifically. No, no, in that in that period where you've you're in this battling you're phase that. and and you're probably questioning or or you're at your lowest point. Can yeah, you remember well, when that was? Definitely, it was recently. It was when I got so carried away with myself and what I was doing that I probably neglected the thing that was most important to me, which was the girl that I loved. And I was she all she wanted was commitment from me, and she deserved it. She's the most amazing. Good news is we're potentially getting back on track. Um, but after a lot of maturity from me and realizing what was important, but I, um, I, didn't, I didn't realize what was the most, which is funny after so much discovery that you've already spoken about to be able to still take something for granted. But it was more the fact that I was so carried away with thinking that I wanted to be this famous rapper and that maybe marriage and all of this wouldn't fit in with that at the moment. Um, so I didn't give her that commitment and I ended up probably for the first time in my entire life being pretty depressed because I lost my best friend. Mm. And what got you through it? Or is getting you through it? I'm a naturally, very luckily, I'm a naturally very positive person. Is that even in that point, people probably wouldn't have seen me as being depressed. I was still getting up. Skateboarding gets me through it. Going to the beach gets me through it. My, my dog gets me through it. My mates get me through it. But well, probably more importantly than anything is I've always been a big self-reflector. So it didn't take long to realize what I'd done. Like it was like a month later and I started trying to rectify it. It took a lot more. A lot more is like climbing Everest in bare feet with someone throwing boulders down at you. But I've, I've, I've done that before in my life, and um, yeah, it's. I think self-reflection and being able to to realise what you've done. The second you can do that, it starts rebuilding. I remember somebody saying something really jolly. A speaker I saw once, and although it sounds a little bit tacky, it's true. Like a setback, something a set up for a comeback. Mm. So I'd, I'd never get down over something. I'd realise that you know, um, yeah, I'd realise there's somewhere to make up on it. That being said, that was probably more recently. And then the other thing was, I mean, all of that hate was pretty intense because I got so obsessed with the love and the views and the likes that I, um, I then, when I started getting all of that hate and these big rappers calling out to me, and literally, I mean, my, my brother is a, is a forensic psychologist and 
he deals with some pretty intense individuals and he walked into a battle soon one day and he said, mate, if you win today, you're not going to leave here alive. And that's the, that's the level of hate that, that it actually, and that was to go back, lucky I had my girl at the time, but to go back and to sit in your room, even the strongest of minds, it's like when you got that many people wanting to take you down, mm. it was like you had to, writing also saved me. I'll stop talking now, but writing also saved me. Writing music has always been my expression. As I write a song about it, I get it out into the world. I feel better about it. Now, it's good to hear because with Brewster Radio, we, we try and talk to people who are in some sort of high performance environment, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the time we'll be talking about sport because sport, particularly at the elite level, is a cauldron where you are high performance, you're performing at your peak, but you're also open for peak criticism. So, mate, share as much as you can about this world because it's a world that most people would have absolutely no idea about. Now, James has just had to step out because he has to take his wife to a meeting about the sewing course. <laughs> so I was, I, I, was, I, was hoping I, was getting, I wouldn't ask I was, any questions about I that. I was hoping to get in before he left, but um, meeting about the I thought sewing course. I was going to give you a few little tidbits to be able to um, to slam him. To slam him, yeah, on yeah. a bit of a freestyle. So maybe. well, I, I think just did. I think in all seriousness, like, yeah, I'm not going to. I think just saying I'm not going to ask any questions about that is enough <laughs> of a slam in itself, but. Hey mate, you're, you're talking about a man who's climbing up Everest at the moment to get his love back. So yeah. I, if it's a sewing course he's got to go do, get out there mate and, <laughs> and, go and go and do whatever you got to do. That's it mate. But I guess now you're at the point where you have, to a certain extent, jumped back. So yes. you made the big jump from real estate to battling and now you are back to some extent in the yeah. real estate environment. Can you tell us, I guess, the mix of your life at the moment and how you're making it all work? Well, the beautiful thing was, I mean, the beautiful thing is, is now that the main focus to me is I think that I'm just an attention seeker and I just needed to be in front of a crowd of people no matter what. Well, you and did say yes to Rooster Radio pretty pretty, pretty quickly. damn quickly. It sounded a bit desperate on that one. <laughs> in, here, in here that day, I think. Um, you got me on a day when I don't have to work too much, which is awesome. And um, I, uh, yeah, I, the balance that I've got now is fantastic. I'm my own boss, which is a place where I really enjoy being. I never dealt too well with authority. All my teachers said I didn't listen to them and I talk too much. Now I don't have to listen to anybody and I talk all the time, so it's, fan <laughs> so, so it's fantastic. But I'm now, uh, I got back into coaching. I, I caught up with a couple of agents probably a year and a half ago and they asked me a few questions and I realized, wow, like I, I still know absolutely everything because of how well-trained I was. And I realized that I could help these guys. So I, I stepped back in doing some work, uh, beginning with Harcourts, that very quickly spread uh, to, to multiple offices. I've now got work coming from every direction. As I said, it's a very undertrained industry and, and I'm lucky enough to be working with good people. We've got results. Like they had an awards night recently and the officers, I mean, one of the, the officers that I trained with dominated it, but it was actually like one of the officers just almost took every award home and out of the entire state. Wow. And when that happens, people start asking questions and they figure yeah. out that I'm coaching them. So you start getting a lot of work. And you're doing your music for the love of it. Yeah, which is, what's crazy is that I, you know, I left, uh, you know, selling every day because I didn't want to sell my soul just for money. And then all of a sudden I found myself trying to make songs purely to get them on the radio. And I was selling my soul within music. Mm. And you kind of have to do that to be a pop star these days. Very few people get to get into a position, maybe only later in their career, where they get to make music for the love of it. Mm. So now I'm lucky enough through the battling to have a, a good base of people to be able to release my music to. That's not important to me. I'd release it just to my friends, but 
it's it's now purely for the love of it. I write about what I'm thinking about. I've just made a song which is about uh, bullying online. I'm, a, I'm an ambassador with the uh, Bully Zero Foundation, mm-hmm. the Australia Foundation, which is awesome. I've got a song about ISIS addiction coming out with a pretty heavy A lot of my fans or supporters, whatever you want to call them, in the battle rap world would come up to me after shows and they were under the under the heavy influence of that and mm. I've seen it do some nasty, nasty things. So yeah. I get to write about what I'm passionate about now and uh, rather than you know trying to make a radio hit, which is stressful in itself, mate. Oh, for sure. So what about the intersection between real estate and rap? What, how have they helped each other in what you do? That's a, that's a crazy question. That's a really good question, I should say. A crazy good question is, um, what I've noticed recently is I'm getting up and I'm starting to do some keynote speaking and I'm doing some big talks and things like that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be me unless I, I was saying something positive about myself, as you probably figured out <laughs> in the last, four, last however long we've been interviewing. Um, but people have sort of said, like, you've got something different up there. You're different to these other speakers. And I've been trying to think what it is. It's not just, I think everybody's, you know, there's other speakers that are amazing. I've got these connections. But... I think it's actually the the, practice, the, the the rapping up on stage. Like I was up on stage, it's a different thing up on stage, rapping and getting a crowd into it. And I, one of my favorite things in performing was actually not doing a track, but getting the crowd to hold up items and I'd freestyle about what was in the room. And getting a crowd that hyped up and everything, I, I think I take an element of that energy out into the stage. I also am completely myself now. Like I rocked up to a board meeting that I was running for agents last week in a very expensive boardroom. They're all sitting there in their suits and I rocked up with my skateboard in my hand. And, <laughs> you know, and I get to be myself, but I think what's funny is that in 2016, I think, I think always, not just 2016, but I think always people, people appreciate that. And I think the, the barriers of the corporate world are coming down. And mm. I think that the more you're yourself, um, the more, the less you are like a wanker, the less you're trying to put up a front and, and, and try to be something you're not, uh, I think people appreciate that. And that's what I take. I tell people what they need to know, not what they want to hear. Thank you for that one, Phil. And um, Phil Harris. And, you know, I've, I take that energy in there. I guess I've naturally got a, a good way of connecting with people as well. You know? Awesome. Can you give us a little bit of a taste of your rap skills, mate? I don't know if you've, if you've got enough dirt on Begs to... Uh Drop some freestyle about him. Um, yeah, wow! Well, can you can you give me a beat or something? This is this is. Uh, I'd be ha- I'd be happy to. I mean, I could do it without a beat. You give me what'll be easier, right? I'll tell you something about freestyling. Yeah, have you ever have you ever, free, have you ever no, freestyle never, before? Never. Well, here's the deal. I'm gonna freestyle if you're gonna freestyle, even just once. You got to be prepared to sound like an idiot if I'm gonna be prepared to sound like an idiot. Oh, yeah, but yeah, but he's already he's already. <laughs> this is what everyone does. This is what I do, oh. right? This is what I do. Yeah, fair enough. I'll tell you something and I won't make you do it. I can't make you do it. It's your show, brother. But (laughs) what I would say is that the biggest mistake people make freestyling is expecting it to be good, first of all. It's a freestyle. You never know. What I say might be great. It might be amazing. It might be terrible. But the trick is, is that everybody will go to rhyme. You see people freestyling at a party or any situation, they won't be listening to the person. They'll be pre-thinking their first couple of lines. Right? You've ever seen that? Yeah, for sure. Now the brain has two different ways to work. There's creative side, well there's a lot of different ways in this, you see that my brain doesn't work in too many ways, but two ways in freestyling, and this is through my own discovery, it's not science, but I figured out you can either use the creative side of your brain or you can use the sort of memory side of your brain. There's the same up on stage, and if people try to pre-think the first couple of lines, what will happen is their brain is in the wrong sort of thought pattern. Mm. So they'll say those first couple of lines, 
like let's say if I was, you know, I was going to talk about James, I was thinking like, you know, he's going to teach his girl how to sew, he's playing games, but that's the way you got to always expect James. And that's, that's the line that you say. Yeah. If I try to pre-think that, what's going to happen after that is my brain is going to go, oh, what's the next line? And that's yeah. the wrong line to think in. So it's better to go like the red microphone. I'm set to, to recite a tone. I know that tonight I will never leave the night alone. The croquet club is on and I'm going for a drink. But check it out. People always knowing what I think. It's Rooster Radio. I need to get fellatio. I'm sorry, but that's the way. <laughs> you told me I'd get paid. So yo, I'm just joking. We're hoping it's true. But you know what I'm doing? I'm just provoking you, dude. That's it. There's oh, a, mate. That's bloody amazing. That's a freestyle. Um, yeah, I apologise for that. Mate, mate, we said at the start, you can say whatever the Giddy hell you want. Oh, I actually think that was probably the nicest way of saying that. That was the classiest way of saying that. So I did all right. That's what, I tell you what though, out of, you know, apart from skateboarding, being at the beach, uh, freestyling is one of them. I'd encourage everybody to do it. Do you ever like play back in school, that game where you'd go around and you'd all have to say the word association. Like I say computer, then you'd have to say the next word you're yeah. thinking of. And it ended up laughing because someone would say something silly. Freestyling when it's the real form of freestyling, not people pre-thinking, trying to yeah. sound, sound cool. Just like that, I made you laugh because I said something stupid. You got a group of people, beers or no beers or whatever, and you're sitting around, you're doing that. Mate, I've had some of the funniest nights of all time just kicking rhymes with guys because you end up saying some of the stupidest shit, <laughs> but it's fun, it's but cool. It's interesting what you're saying about the, the mind and the way it works and the fact that with that creative side, you're just letting it flow. Exactly. And particularly in the corporate world, I'm sure that's where you can give amazing insights about public speaking. You know, every bloody politician gets Read. up, oh. they're reading their notes, Kills me. Being written by some advisor or something like that, or a corporate introductory speech. Yeah. I just love, you know, the law firm I work at, I want to get, I want to get one of the partners up there and yeah. just let them bloody freestyle. I might have to get you in. Mate, well, the thing is, is that my, the best talking that I've ever done, I mean, these keynote speaking performances I'm doing at the moment in front of big crowds, I'll have obviously reminders through my slides, but they're just visual reminders. The more I pre-rehearse something, the worse it sounds. I realize that not every single person has that ability, but most people do. Mm. And the more you try to you know, pre-rehearse something, you'll probably sound a little bit forced because energy is real. Conversation isn't pre-rehearsed. I mean, exhibit A, this radio show, if we, if we came in with an agenda or we came in trying to, trying to say everything, it would sound very forced. Yeah. You guys are, out of, I mean this sincerely, like out of every person that's ever interviewed me, interviewed me, whether it's on a radio show for hip hop, on Fresh Hip, I always say names because they're great guys as well. Anywhere from any radio show, podcast or anything, you guys are very, very natural and you provoked great conversation because of that. Ching ching, that is a pain. <laughs> yeah. Give pain me my hunchy bucks, mate. Give me my no, hunchy. Thanks, mate. No, I appreciate that. Part of our, I guess, one of the big things that we really focus on is real conversations because mm. that's what James and I were doing before we would turn Rooster Radio on and that's why we decided to start it it's just based on a conversation as such it's very raw yeah. we don't edit we um and ah we stuff around we say the wrong thing we sometimes say the right thing but we just want to let it fly and that's life though mate that's why it's good that's, that's it, why mate. it's good when somebody gives you that real pre-rehearsed question as well it puts me into a sort of a weird position. It's like, how do you want me to respond to this? When mm. it's just flowing conversation, which is, has been, it, it works really, really well. But you know, I'm coming back to it. I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm my, own, I'm my own boss. And saying that, I've got a lot of freedom to do what I want. I skateboard every day. I, go, I spend the morning at the beach this morning, as you oh, know. Beautiful. Um, I, I sort of work the chosen hours that I work, but um, 
I'm doing what I love and I just encourage anybody to, to make sure that, I wouldn't encourage anybody to do anything, do whatever you want to do, but you, you, you know, make sure you don't neglect your passion because you might wake up one day and realize, shit, I wish I was doing that. What a perfect note to finish on. Now, how can people connect with you, find out more about you, listen to your stuff, see your videos, all of that gear? Definitely. Uh, I've, I've got a website uh, happening at the moment, building from behind the scenes in regards to my coaching. But you can contact me at jwcoaching@outlook.com.au. Um, some big things happening on the web there at the moment, which should be launched in the next few months. Uh, if you want to hear my raps, you can check me out at Facebook slash follow the kid MC. Uh, there are many different sides of me. If you want to see me skate, come up to Ridge Park. I'll say hi. Beautiful. Thanks for listening. Mate, thanks for having me on. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooster Radio Podcast, hosted by Tracks Leadership's James Begley and Apiro Consulting's Andrew Montesi.